So, as we, con- as we jump here into worshiping through the Word, uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles on Exodus 24. We'll be reading a little bit more about Exodus. Last, now last week we had Dan who, wow, that was such a powerful message and very encouraging. The week before, we talked a little bit about Exodus 19. We, we dwell in that, in that first half of the chapter. And the people, how the, how the Lord took the people of Israel out of Egypt and brought them all the way to Mount, to Mount Sinai. And as, as a matter of recap, the second book in the Bible, this Exodus, tells us that story about how Israel got there, how God is making out of Israel a nation that is going to be the means through which God will be redeeming the world. Why does the world need, world need to be redeemed? Well, in Genesis 1 through 11, as we saw in the picture, there was... Humanity did whatever they wanted to do. Things were went really bad. And the Lord, well, the flood happened, but then they wanted to trespass boundaries again. They built this tower. They wanted, when they wanted to go into God's space in their own terms, and God did not allow that. But God's plan was all along to be with His people. That's what, was, that's what we had in Genesis 1 through 3. How is He going to do that? He gives a promise to Abraham and from chapters 12 through 15, we have the Lord dealing with this particular family. These family are the ones called to redeem, through them, God was going to redeem all of the nations of the world. So that's part of the, the beginning of the story. We get to Exodus because they're supposed to be these people, but they, they went down to, to Egypt... Because there was a famine and there was food there, then through they got there through bad means. Because this family that the Lord called, um, they are they are also dealing with the same evil that every human being deals with, and that's the reality. The Lord does not wait for us to be who we're supposed to be, but He starts working with us as we are, and that's very encouraging. And this family is an example of that. So they get to Egypt, and then the Lord calls them. And the first 18 chapters of the book of Exodus, we have the Lord rescuing people, the the people of Israel, from Egypt. Dealing with Pharaoh, bringing them through the Red Sea, all the way to Mount Sinai. They get to Mount Sinai. That's what we read two weeks ago in chapter 19. People are there on the foot of the mountain. The Lord was going to come down to the top. And the people were invited to go up on the mountain. And be with with God. Go back to the presence of God. Which is life. His presence is life-given. And we saw in that particular Sunday. That the Lord does all this. Before he gives any commandments, before he gives any law, he brings people out of Egypt. He protects them and provides for them in the wilderness. He brings them into a covenant. Now this covenant is an agreement of how they were going to work together to achieve the purposes of redeeming all humanity. 
And they became their treasure possession. They became a holy nation. They became a kingdom. They were supposed to become a kingdom of priests. That's where we are at this point in the story. Again, humanity fell. God calls Abraham. They end up in Egypt. God's called, God brings them out of Egypt. And now we're here. We're going to go into this agreement into this covenant of how are we going to deal with the problem that has humanity away from God. So that's where they are. This agreement starts on chapter 20, because in chapter 19 we still see, it's kind of like the narrative kind of slows down, and we see God coming down, and the people are supposed to go up. But then after that in chapter 20, Exodus 20 is, is where we have the Ten Commandments. Um, yeah, the Ten Commandments. And from then onwards, we have what we call the Book of the Covenant, or just fine print, let's say it, of, of how all these, all these other specifics about the Ten Commandments should be taken place, should be kept. So we're going to jump into that. And before we, we start reading those verses, let, let me quickly pray, and so we can commend our time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you because you have given it to us so we can study it, meditate on it, learn from it. Father, we need to consistently be coming back to it so you give us wisdom of how to live and how to become part of what you're doing, Lord. We, it's not only the Israelites on this, on this side of the story or on this part of the story, Father, we, you have not only called the Israelites but everyone to be part of your process, of the way in which you are rescuing the world. We needed to be rescued, not only just to come to you, but to work with you, to participate with you in what you're doing. So thank you for that, and give us wisdom, humility, and open hearts as we meditate and study these, these next passages. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're in Exodus 24. This is the end of what started in Exodus 19. So the Lord tells him, I'm going to do a covenant with you guys. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. This is what you guys should, be, should keep, should do. Not as a requirement. They have already been saved. They are already a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. That, 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 was, that was a gift that was given. Now, if you're going to participate in the purposes I have for this world to redeem the world, this is the way you're supposed to do it. And it gives him the, the Ten Commandments. Let's, let's start reading here in Exodus 24, 1 through 11. Then he said to Moses, Go up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders, and bow in worship at a distance. Moses alone is to approach the Lord, but the others are not to approach, and the people are not to go up with him. Let us remember that this is the end of the covenant, right? We're just finalizing what started in Exodus 20. Moses came and told the people, single voice, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. 
Then he sent out young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed balls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in basins. The other half of the blood he splattered on the altar. He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, We will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood, splattered it on, on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of Israel's elders. And they saw the God of Israel. Beneath his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli. Let's, we'll see that. They harm what that is. As clear as the sky itself, God did not harm the Israelite nobles. They saw him, and they ate and drank. I like that last part. They ate and drank. Part of the um, reason that we're trying, we're doing this, we're studying this passage, is also because this Sunday we're we're participating in communion. And this is an ancient practice that goes way, way back. Not only to Jesus. Jesus is, is made it, was one of the practices that as his followers should have. But he, that goes way back. Way back. Passover is part of it, yes. But it is in, ending a covenant. Having a covenant and ending it with a meal it was celebrating the fact that we are into this new covenant. We'll get into more into that later on. But it is, it is so relevant that we know what this covenant is, what it was then, and what it is for us now today. So let's start with the first two verses. Moses, the Lord told Moses to go up. And him and Nadab and Abihu and Aaron and the 70, and the 70 of Israel's elders... Now, the idea was for everyone to go up. And I, I mentioned that before. The reason why that didn't happen is that back in Exodus 19, they were given instructions for them to go up. The Lord said, on the third day, I'm going to come down and you guys are going to go up when the, when the horn, ram's horn, sounds a long blast. They may go up to the mountain. They needed to wait on the instructions. Kind of when you have an appointment, you cannot just go whenever you want, especially if it's with the government. You've you got to respect the time and the date. You, you do that, right? If you show up before, you probably you won't get the service you wanted. In this case, it was a little more dangerous because we were approaching the Lord himself. So they're supposed to do that. And that was the invitation. But later on, after the Lord tells his people, these are the commandments that you have to keep. Again, not because it is a requirement for you to be saved. No, because by keeping them, you will be the people through whom my purposes will be carried out. But what happened? The people hears all this, and they witness the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. So when the ram's horn was... Blasting was sounding. They were supposed to go up, but they hear that, and they said 
to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us or we will die. And Moses tells them, don't be afraid for God has come to test you. That you will fear him and will not sin. And the people, you know, remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. Which, that, that sounds a little paradoxically or contra- contradictory. Contradictory. Don't be afraid, for God has come to test you, that you will fear him. So, should I be afraid? Should I not be afraid? What, 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 what is... What is, what should I do? So let's think for a minute here. They see the thunder and lightning surrounded by smoke because the mountain is on fire. And I'm asked to go up there. I don't think I would want to go, you know, into the fire. Now, if you, if we remember, there's another story in the Bible in which an entrance is blocked by fire, or at least by a sword of fire, which is going back into the Garden of Eden. There were angels, uh, specifically cherubim, kind of a divine being, and there was a swirling sword of fire. In order to go into the the garden, you have to get past that, which we just saw Moses going up and down. And the people tells, and he tells the people, "Come, because the Lord wants you to be there." They said, "No, I'm, I'm, I'm too. I'm, we're afraid." And the, and Moses tells, "Yes, you're supposed to be afraid, but don't be afraid." Now, what's going on here is that we're not supposed to be afraid of God because He's not there. To get us. He's not out there to harm us. He's not doing that. But we should be afraid. We've just been given the Ten Commandments. And we should keep them. Well, we should be afraid of, of the consequences of sinning. The con- he is safe when he says he's safe to be approached. In this case, he's calling people up. Don't be afraid. It does look that you will die. But he's telling, asking you to come. We hear those words from Jesus later on. If you want to follow me, you have to dive to yourself. Same thing. Now there's a little bit more of an experience here, right? With all that fire and smoke and thunder and lightning. But the Lord is calling them. Be afraid of what will happen if you sin. Because what happens is that the relationship that is just beginning, when you don't keep these commandments, when you don't follow them, the relationship is broken. Be afraid of that. The same way in which we are afraid of, some of us are afraid, I guess, of um, going faster than the speed limit. We're not afraid of the speed limit itself, or the officer that will enforce that, but of the consequences. It's the same with our, with our parents. Our parents are not out to get us. They love us. But we are afraid of the consequences of if I disobey, if I do what I'm not supposed to do. We may get disciplined or not, right? But it's still out of love. It is the same idea here. 
the Lord calling us to Him so we can be with Him. Be afraid of the consequences, says Moses. So that that way you will try not to sin. Now, on, on those, when, the, when Moses tells him that not to, not to approach, they're just trying to keep things safe for everyone until the Lord says so. But when he calls you, you go. That's the idea. Now, on the next verse, Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice. We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. Now, all of these things, as we mentioned before, it started in chapter 20. They were supposed to go up. People say, we're afraid. Don't go up. And the Lord says, fine. You, Moses, you come up. So this, what we have here on this verse about the, all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances... Those are not only the Ten Commandments we got. Those are like the general way of seeing everything, the, how life should be ordered. But then from chapter 21 to 23, what we have are like the subsections of these Ten Commandments. And if you have a Bible, just please flip backwards and, and look at chapter 21. Laws about slaves. Laws about personal injury. If you take those ones, slaves were owned by people, but that doesn't mean you can take their lives. Laws about injury. If you injure someone too much, you might end up killing him. And that's one of the commandments. Do not murder. So it's just specifying, in order for you not to get to the point of killing someone, don't injure them. Treat them in a humane way. In chapter 22, laws about theft. Do not steal. Different specifics about what to do and what not to do. Laws about personal property. Why do we need to mention personal property? Well, because sometimes we want property that is not ours. We covet that. That's another one. So all these, all these laws over here in between chapter 21 and 23 are just subsections of the Ten Commandments. Chapter 23, verses 1 through 9. Do not give false testimony. Laws about honesty. The rest of chapter 23. Sabbaths and festivals. You shall keep my Sabbath. They're just specifics. Yes, we know that the law over in this section, I think there are around 40 plus ordinances and laws and and commands and things that you have to do. But they just provide examples or little more specificity on all of these Ten Commandments. You know, as a... If you... Actually, I was trying to Google this. I didn't find, like, a great source. You know how many laws we have here in the United States? Some people say that, like, over 80,000. Like, every time, like, every, every term, every two years, there's a... I forget the term. Anyway, people who make more laws and whatever. They, right now, till from, from the last term, there have been like 515, something like that, laws made. So that just keeps adding up. So 40-something here, and 613, which is the whole thing, it's nothing 
compared to you know what we have today. And what's the point? Is it to oppress us? No. It's to guide us. It's to show us where, where are the parameters of how we should live if we are part of this community. Anyway, they are all these laws are just ways in which you can live among yourselves. And not only that, but again, reach the nations. Bless the nations. And what, does, what do people do? They sign on the dotted line. That is a response to the grace they have received. They have received a rescue from Egypt. They were provided. They come into a covenant. And they are the means through whom God guarantee a fully blessed life for how many years we're going to live. We are living outside of Eden. Things will get messy. It was only in Eden that things may not get as messy as outside. What I'm trying to say is that in Eden there was still work. There were still things to do. And, and, and that's a challenge in itself. Not, there was no sin. Let me clarify that. There was life with God. But out of Eden, in the realm of death, what do we expect? Things are going to go bad. So what these laws that the Lord is given here gives us the wisdom to navigate a life outside of Eden. There are for an ancient people group, but that does not mean that, for example, laws about theft do not apply to where we live. We may not be thinking about stealing a donkey or an ox. Some people may, but... Um, but there are other things, right? Is the principle, is the wisdom behind the laws. And then Moses writes down everything, all the words of the Lord. Why? Why does he need to write that down? This is one of the instances that we find in the Bible in which Moses is writing stuff. Why does he need to do that? Because it needs to be preserved. Why? Because if they were going to bless the nations, the nations need to know what are they being part of. They're being part of this covenant with the Creator God. So they need to know these things. And also, the next generation, the children, are going to brought it into the covenant that God has made with, with, his, with their parents. So it needs to be preserved. It needs to be kept to instruct later generations, instruct newcomers to the community, for judges to have to draw from a source of wisdom. Remember, the Lord, through Jethro, told Moses to put people in charge. So where is this wisdom going to come? My own wisdom? We know how that ends. We need a place to go. A source of wisdom. And that's the Lord through His Word. So what, what, they, what they start doing with this is the regular practice of reading and rereading Scripture. They would do this so that the written law would not only stay in here, but would start coming up here. They would keep it alive. They would keep it fresh in the minds of everyone. Because those were, that was the basis of their life together with, with the Lord. And that's something we're still encouraged today. We read the Bible 
not just to fulfill or just to mark a, a checkbox, but for us to, to receive wisdom, to be transformed, to feed our spirit. And we get into a lot of things that Paul mentions if we continue that way. But that's the practice. That is the practice. The more you read something, the more you know it, the more you understand it. And it takes a lifetime. Someone says that meditates on it day and night. Different practice, way of doing it. Reading in the morning, in the afternoon, joining a life group, whatever. Different, different ways of doing it. And doing it in community. That's what we're called to do. And this starts again back here. So, they do this. A day passes by. They all go to sleep. Then the next day, verses 4, 4 through 7. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and 12 pillars, 12 tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. And he sent some Israelite men to get some sacrifices. And then Moses gets the blood, put in basins. Some is to splatter people, some is to splatter the altar. He, take, he takes the covenant scroll or the covenant book, the CSB says covenant scroll, and reads it out loud to the people. And they, then again they say, Oh yes, we will do everything that we heard that the Lord has commanded us. Now this section over here, what you got is, is a ceremony. You've done all the work of being rescued and so on, being with the Lord. Showing you the agreement, the, the legal document of this is what you're agreeing to. In order for, you to, for us to be together and for you to be ambassadors to go out so now let's let's close this in a in a ceremony it was very graphic and very detailed one of the ceremonies at least i i remembered the most there are several you know you remember when you graduate graduate from college whatever or another different kind of ceremony one of the most most memorable ceremonies is when you get married I, like, I remember the day. I remember all the people who we invited because there were like 10. <laughs> if we had invited more, probably I, wouldn't, I would not remember that. And, and that's a, a picture which I want to say we still look the same. Maybe Christy does. Um, so we, I, I remember that day completely. I remember everything since the morning all the way till it was done. And there are many symbols in that ceremony. We have two parties coming. And, and you remember this. I mean, probably you don't remember every wedding you've gone to. But even if you've just been an attendee, you remember the symbols. And you remember what happened. And, and there were vows exchanged. And there were rings involved. And then you have the, the attire. It's like, I haven't worn that again, I think. Probably it doesn't fit. But we we just haven't, you know. It's we we have all these elements that are part of it. There's a word words from a marriage officiant. There are witnesses. There's a reception. There's food involved. And when you and the people you have invited share a meal. So we have, we have all these things. We have, in all of this, there are symbols. The ring is a symbol. 
If I take off the ring, doesn't mean I'm not married. I don't take it because I may lose it. But it's it's just there's symbols. So what we read in verses four through seven in this ceremony where where there's animal sacrifice and then reading of the law and and we read that there's an altar and pillars. These are symbols. Probably not symbols that we use today, but they are symbols. The ones that we use, for example, in a marriage covenant. When you come together, two parties come together. In this case, in Exodus, there are two parties coming together. The Lord is very close to marrying His people. And there are symbols involved. So let's, let's go into those symbols. Because people agree, we're going to do everything that He has commanded us. So they make the covenant official. And they celebrate it. They have an altar. They have 12 stone pillars. They have animal sacrifices. They have blood application. And reading of the covenant. Try to think. Not Each one of these symbols do not represent a direct symbol in, mar- in a marriage covenant in, in that ceremony. I'm not saying that. But and promising to faithfully be faithful to each other, to love each other, to care for each other. So we're done. We give. We have. The Lord has given us the way we should live, at least to the Israelites. They, he gave them the way they should live. And then let's wrap this up in a ceremony. Now the altar. This is the place in which you bring the sacrifices, and you bring two kinds of sacrifices. You bring a burnt offering. And a fellowship offering. We're not going to go into the depth of what that means. Just, just some notes on that. It's called a burnt offering. Because all the animal, which is supposed to be blameless, was fully burnt. Everything. All the way to ashes. Its symbolism, it is that through fire, this animal has been transformed. Now, he's, now in our time and day, we know that matter cannot be neither created nor destroyed. right? And, and they knew that. They, th- they knew things could be transformed. The matter just doesn't disappear. So it became a smoke. And he just rose up. And then in Leviticus, we can, you can read that it says, and it, it went up as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So the symbol behind this, behind this burnt offering, is that this creature, this animal, has taken the place of the person offering the sacrifice, and it is now that has gone through the fire that it goes up to the Lord's presence. So it's a symbol for the person. Instead of the animal going up, it's me going up through that symbol. So the whole burnt, burnt sacrifice, it is the symbol of we are hoping to one day go and be with the Lord in the Lord's presence and that and then you did it again because the more you do it the more it sticks to your head so that was the symbol behind that one there will come a day in which that will happen now a fellowship offering that one it was to restore relationships the name says right fellowship offering why because at some point you know we, why why do we need forgiveness because 
we sin. We sin towards God. We sin towards other people. We sin towards us. So we need some sort of restoration. So the fellowship offering was to embody the image that when I do something against someone, what I am bringing into that relationship is death. Yes, but it was just a white lie. Yes, but it was just half the truth. Yes, but I just took too much of their time. Pick your example. It might seem insignificant. Keep doing it again and again and again. And things just increase. Because we, we don't probably sin with, our, with all our potential. But we can't get there. That's not the plan though. So the fellowship offering was to embody the image of... I did something to wrong you, and that brings that breaks our relationship. I'm sorry. Let's start again. Well, then let's not start again. Let's fix what happened, and from there let's go onwards. But it's about the image, by you seeing, by looking at this animal, what was going on. It is that we bring death whenever. We wrong someone. These images were necessary for that. The 12 pillars represents the 12 tribes of Israel, which means that all of the tribes are committing to this. There were only 70 representatives. For the 12 pillars, means it's not only the 70 representatives, it's everyone. Everyone. Committing to this. Even if, even though not everyone wants to go up, the Lord will fix that later as He comes down and fills the tabernacle. It is everyone. Twelve pillars represent everyone. Now half of the blood is splattered on the people and the other half on the altar. The two parties of the covenant, the altar is, represents God. They are the ones being, He's the one, one part of the, one side, one the, one party of the covenant, and then we have the people. So I know it's it's probably the most hygiene way, you know. Again, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of of these people being part of the covenant. Because the blood symbolizes life. And if people outside of Eden live in ways in which they bring death, the splattering of the blood is a cleansing process. It's, that's what it represents. Think. Let's go back to the, to the to the marriage thing. We don't exchange our vows daily. We don't we don't do that. There are actions that do go in line with our vows. Again, symbols. These are symbols. Of this ceremony. And now what do you. They, they do less. They read out loud the covenant scroll. Because this is what we're committing to. Those are the, the final words right. When the marriage officiant says. Do you take this person. To love her. To care for her. In. 
uh, health and sickness, poverty and wealth. There you go. I try to keep those. Though. Um, so we, it's, it's again, there's symbols. Well, he says that, and over here, Moses reads all these things, chapters 20 to 23, just to remind people, this is what you're committing to. God committed that. He received part of that blood splatter on the altar. You receive that. You're committing to that because you, that's what the splattering of the blood meant on them. You are being part of this. You're committing to this. And let me tell you, maybe this is, this is spoilers here. The Israelites didn't keep their part of the covenant. God did do that. The Israelites didn't. But God was faithful. He did that. So the, the blood that was splattered, Moses says these words, this is the blood of the covenant. So this is you finally signing that agreement. You will keep that. This is the blood of the covenant. This is it. That's Jesus says similar words when he's when he breaks bre- breaks the bread and gives the cup. This is my blood of the covenant, he says. Moses couldn't said that, but this is a symbol, is an image of what was to come. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made concerning the words. God will be faithful to what he has promised. You guys have to be faithful to what you're committing. And again, it is not to be saved. It is not to receive something. They have already received that. They have, that was pure grace. But it is about we are coming together so we can work together. Think about another example is just a, accepting a new job. There are requirements. They're going to pay you and you have to do something. It's two parts. Coming for what? Working together. For, for a same goal. That's what it is about. Over here, you know, it's just the fate of the world that is, that's in, um, in play here. But the Lord is faithful, thankfully. <laughs> then Moses went up... With Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 elders. And they see the God of Israel. So, what was, has happened is that in chapter 18, Moses went up, comes down, tells the people, hey, get ready, the Lord is going to come down, and tells them the, the Ten Commandments. You have to do this, that, and the other. Well, actually, they heard it from God. When he, the thunder they heard, and that was God saying, telling them, because that way, says scripture, they will know that I. That I am talking to you and I'm talking to them. People are invited to go up. They don't go up. So Moses goes up again. He receives the block from 21 to 23. He comes down again. And he tells the people, okay, we're going to have officiate a ceremony. And since you all don't want to come up, let me take representatives. So the representatives go not all the way up, but halfway. Halfway the mountain. And it is there. That they see God of Israel. Now, they, what they see is that beneath his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli. 
as clear as the sky itself. Now that lapis lazuli is just, excuse me, precious stone. It's bluish. Can you put the, that picture? There we go. It's just a precious stone. When we don't have that much smoke, what's the color of our sky? It's blue, right? It's blue. I mean, during the day, it looks blue. So they go up all the way to the mountain, and what they see is that boundary. You know, that the Lord is beyond that. So they see this dome. That was how they view the world. And they see his feet. Which is interesting because, you know, does the Lord have feet? Does he have hands? We don't know. These are ways in which we try to understand who this being, creator being is. But they see him. And it's very interesting because later on, we read that God didn't harm the Israelites. We know that whoever the Lord says, sees me, will perish. But this time didn't happen. They were able to see him, and they saw this pavement. On other other versions, I think the ESV or NIV, I think it is, says sapphire, kind of like glassy, like you can look through. You as clear as the sky itself. So they see him. Moses is the only one who ends up going, crossing that boundary and going out to be with God, and he starts being that in intermediary, which everyone was supposed to be. They didn't happen. But the Lord later on is going to fix that. God did not harm the the Israelite nobles or the Israelite, the 70 elders that went up. They saw him and they ate and they drank. Did the Lord eat? So one of the teachers trick question, right? Did he eat? I don't know. I'm not sure. The people did eat. But again, it's a symbol. It's a symbol. Just as we have our receptions after a wedding and we all share a meal. This is a symbol. It means this is the crowning moment in which we agree. Back in that day, you wouldn't sit down at the table with someone you don't agree with. Because it was an intimate moment. The covenant is confirmed. A meal takes place to express the reality that God and Israel are one family sharing one life. It's a celebration. There's mutual, there's supposed to be mutual agreement, cooperation, acceptance, and respect. And they would go forward as one. The rest of the Old Testament, we don't have to go very far, actually. Because then after this, chapter 24, Moses goes up again and he gets, okay, um, people don't want to come up. I'll tell you something. Let's build something, a building, a, a tabernacle, in which can harness my presence somehow, and I'll come and dwell down with them. So Moses goes up. And stays there 40 days and 40 nights because a bunch of blueprints he's, he's receiving and instructions. The people down there, 40 days ago, after 40 days have passed, and 40 days ago they have said, Yes, 
we will do everything the Lord commanded, we have the famous story of the golden calf. We don't have to, we just have to keep reading. And we see that they didn't keep part of the, their part of the covenant. And if you keep reading the Old Testament, he didn't do it. However, the Lord continually remembers his promise, remembers his covenant, and keeps reassuring them that he is faithful, that he won't change. People forgot about it. People didn't keep it. They ignored it. We even have a story later on in the book of Kings. The famous King Josiah. He finds this scroll they haven't read in centuries. Have forgotten. And we forget too. It's not different. We need reminders. We need to gather together in our in regular rhythms to remember. To keep this alive. To keep these words in us. Because at that moment, the Lord was working with Israel. But that was not the end. There were always means to the end. And when Jesus comes, and when he sends the apostles, they're all Israelites going and reaching the nations. And then are the nations reaching the nations until the Lord comes. That's what we're doing. But it starts then with that covenant that the Lord made with them. And the Lord, and the, this is the thing when it comes all crashing down on Jesus, because He is the one who actually is the faithful Israelite and the faithful human who does keep the covenant. As we transition here, we are about to remember a covenant, the new covenant. Jesus calls him not because the old one is obsolete or anything; it's because it's. It, come, it came later. New, new as in it's done today. But it doesn't mean that the old one doesn't have any significance at all. It means that this one fulfills what, the, what Jesus did. Fulfilled every covenant that was made in the past. And there are different ones. It is the fulfillment. We are not receiving stone tablets we're not receiving instructions how to approach God or how to build the temple. We're not, we're not receiving that. But what we are received is the Holy Spirit. It's God Himself in us. Because when where the new temple needed, needed to be cleansed with blood, tabernacle and temple, we who are the temple need to be cleansed with His blood. And symbols are the things that we use. To remember that. Symbols or practices. We're not, we're not, we don't really use and like this word very much. But it's, it's ritual. To keep things alive. To not forget who we are. And especially whose we are. So I want to call the servers that are going to help us with communion. And as we prepare our hearts to participate in the Lord's table, let us reflect on the bread, which is His body given for us, and the cup, which represents the, the, new, the new covenant.
that cleanse us, cleanse our, cleanse our body so God dwells in us. And let me remind you, you can, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to participate of this ceremony. You don't have to be a member of this church to be to participate in, in this. Now, if you are not following Jesus, if you don't haven't received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I would encourage you just to let this ceremony pass you by. And just observe it. And if you want to know more about Jesus and receive his gift of life, talk to one of the elders, talk to talk to me, talk to the person who invited you. So we can we can do that. Again, remember these are symbols. The same way in which in the Old Testament blood was splattered and all those things happening. We are taking this as a symbol of what Jesus did for us, what the life he has given us. So we will serve communion. We will come down the we'll serve communion up front. Come down from the aisles and then go back to your seat through the middle one. And I will ask you to wait. To wait with your bread and with the cup until everyone has, has it so we all can do it together. In the meantime, while you wait, if you're one of the first ones, pray. Pray for thanking, thanking the Lord for the new life we have been given, for the forgiveness we have been received. And we'll have Isaiah 53, 5. So you can read it and pray about it. Pray according to it. Just meditate until we're done and then we're all going to have it together, okay? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you because you gave yourself for us. You fulfilled, not only, you didn't erase all your covenants, you fulfilled them. You took the part that we missed and made it and kept it properly. So now your knowledge, the knowledge of who you are can go to all the nations, Father. So we can be parts, participants in what you are doing for the world. Father, as we come and celebrate and take the bread and the cup, may our hearts be humbled and may our hearts be thankful for what you have done. That you taken, you take, took, you took our consequences, bore, bore them upon yourself, upon yourself and granted us forgiveness and entrance to your life-giving presence. In your name we pray. Amen.